Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We will halve inflation, grow the economy, reduce debt. Nothing's changed. The circus moves on, rinse and repeat. We have an opportunity to become Europe's Silicon Valley. We can perhaps be a broker of some sort with Ukraine. We expect inflation to come off quite rapidly in the rest of this year. Obviously, we want to see that happen. What we now need is a period of stable, quiet, serious government. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepker. Welcome to the programme. So, Caroline, a big change is coming in today, something I know that you're excited about. (laughs) Is this alcohol duties? Alcohol duties are being reformed. There's quite a big reform to alcohol duties coming in from today. So alcohol duties, which used to be set based on the type of drink cider was different to port or rum, are now all going to be set according just to the level of alcohol in the drink. It seems like a pretty uh, sensible reform. It's going to make it much more consistent, the taxation of booze. But it does mean that some things are going to be hit by a rather hefty increase in alcohol tax. One or two things that are getting a reduction, but not so many. Yeah, I think it's absolutely nuts the number of organisations that are concerned about this alcohol duty. There is so much concern in the budget about the cost of a pint of beer. It's on the front page of virtually every newspaper after any chance there's budget. It always makes me want to tear my hair out, to be honest. Are you you saying we're overly interested in booze in this country? Yeah, look, I like a tipple as much as anybody and I certainly like a nice pub but yes everybody has had something to say about this so the government is trying to do a few things right they want people to cut back firstly on boozing you know we know that it's not terribly good for you if you do it uh, you know too often um also they want to level the playing field between like supermarkets pubs and restaurants so a lot of organizations think that it's going to be better for pubs and restaurants because it's going to make it more expensive to buy um alcohol in supermarkets by a little bit on the other hand depends with beer depends whether you include vat because then you've got weather students saying that pubs and restaurants have to pay 20 percent vat so you know away you go i do think it is one of those things though that people know the price of a pint of beer don't they it keeps going up so quickly price of a pint of beer well it depends where you go i mean in weather spoons you might get one for 450 in london 350 outside london perhaps a little bit less but you can pay seven quid in some places hang on a (laughs) sec that's a full survey of how much you might pay well there you go you see i do you do clearly (laughs) but i feel like you know bread milk beer i kind of like i'm not saying there's a life essential but those are sort of some of the key (laughs) things that people know the price of whereas you know that's very proletarian (laughs) bread milk i know the price of of a pint of milk i suspect much better than but there are many things that we know the price of and particularly these days where everything keeps rising in price it's difficult to keep track isn't it but I, i there are only certain things that we keep in our heads and i think booze is an important one. People know how much a bottle of wine is because it's, yes. it's quite a lot of money. And the fact the bottle of wine is going to go up by up to 90p, I think people are going to notice this and I think this is going to cause a bit of a stink. Uh, look, I think it's amazing because, you know, uh, given that taxation is so high, as you say, energy bills, the coal cost of living is is so enormous. I'm sort of surprised that so much time is spent focused on alcohol. But then I guess 38,000 pubs, I mean... 
the pubs also have shrunk so much. The number mm. of, of public houses in the UK every year we lose, uh, you know, a thousand or two. Um, so yeah, I'm always kind of shocked that people are so focused on it. But maybe British tradition. <laughs> okay, let's turn our attention then, maybe away from our little rant about boozing in Britain uh, and talk uh, about the Conservatives and what the, the Prime Minister's been up to. Yeah, after that surprise win for the Tories in Uxbridge, a campaign entirely centred on opposition to the London Mayor's vehicle emissions scheme, is the government's rowback of environmental measures gathering steam. Well, just within the past few days, the Prime Minister has announced hundreds of new licences for drilling for North Sea oil and gas. He's also said that he's on the side of motorists going on to all Order a review of schemes to reduce traffic. So joining us, Anthony Brown, Conservative MP for South Cambridgeshire, who is also the vice chair of the All Party Group on the Environment. Well, he's still obviously absolutely committed to net zero by 2050, and that's the sort of the, the red line for me. Uh, and I totally accept, as does the um, the Climate Change Committee, uh, that um, fossil fuels, in terms of gas in particular, will pay a role uh, in the transition, not just till 2050, but actually even some use beyond that, not least for, uh, I mean, it's partly for energy, but, but actually particularly for chemicals. And, uh, and given that that's gas and other fossil fuels are part of the transition, then I have no particular problem with producing them from within the UK as opposed to relying on uh, importing them, which is actually less, uh, which is actually more carbon intensive than producing them within the UK. So, so long as he sticks to the uh, 2050 commitment to get to net zero by then, uh, then, uh, then I'm comfortable with the rest of it. Uh, but I wouldn't want to see any backtracking on that. There does seem to have been a, at least a ramping up in uh, rhetoric when it comes to undoing green measures. Are you, are you comfortable with with some of the, the talk coming from the leadership of, the, of your party? Well, you, clearly there's a by-election where the, the ultra-low emission zone uh, played a big role uh, in the Conservatives uh, regaining our seat uh, and uh, the Uxbridge seats. And then, uh, in fact, in my local uh, area in Cambridge, we've had two local by-elections where uh, we have had surprise victories, uh, the Conservatives, that is, uh, because of the congestion charge. Again, a similar sort of unpopular tax on motorists. Uh, and I think what there is is a uh, really sort of outbreak of pragmatism that actually... Uh, and sort of combined with the, the, all the debate over Just Stop Oil and their protests and so on. But I think the public are uh, getting fed up with some of the more sort of extremist rhetoric around uh, climate change and, and the idea that we have to suffer in order to make any difference. And mm. the government is actually more committed to sort of trying to, you know, we need to get to net zero, but we need to do it in as painless way as possible, uh, not demanding huge sacrifices from everyone, not demanding uh, that people completely change their way of life. Uh, and I totally support that. I mean, so, for example, on flying, uh, you know, clearly that's an area where we don't have alternative technologies yet. There aren't any um, really functioning uh, electric planes that people can take if they want to go away uh, and um, or hydrogen planes. Uh, I, but I want people to be able to carry on flying, but I want them to, to be able to do it in a way that doesn't fry the planet. Uh, yeah. And so I'm a massive supporter of um, jet zero, as it were, like synthetic aviation fuels or the other technologies. And I think we really need to put a big um, a big push on that. But what I don't want to do is go down the route of saying, well, nobody should fly anymore. Uh, no, no. And, 
No, of course not. And, and I think it's interesting that you call it an outbreak of pragmatism because the other, um, the other way of seeing it, I suppose, is simply that the reality of the cost of actually achieving net zero is dawning on people and that it doesn't come without cost or without pain to people's way of life. I mean, yes, airlines are one particular issue, but there are other measures that the government you know, could have been taking really in the last um, few years that it has not managed to do, for example, dealing with emissions from homes you know it's about commitment and this is the point at which that really does need to happen and um i suppose is there credibility well, the, go- the, the government, government can government tackle still, that i mean the government is still completely committed to net zero by 2050 and all its sort of major policies things like banning the sale of new uh, petrol and diesel non-hybrid cars by so you think that that's stuck, not an issue that would be that ditched commitment. ahead of the next general election that seems to be a policy ditching the sale well, of traditional engines by 2030 that seems a policy ripe for the ditching ahead of a general election well i i hope not and i don't the government has recommitted i'm not responsible for this policy obviously but the government has recommitted itself rishi uh, the prime minister has recommitted himself to this the the roads minister uh, Richard Holden, he recommitted himself to this uh, earlier today. And I think it's important that we keep that commitment because that, that drives the change uh, in the automobile industry. Their whole investment plans are gearing up towards you know, electric vehicles or at least hybrid vehicles by uh, 2030. And it's uh, it's electric only by 2035. So it's still uh, you know, 12 years years off. Uh, but it would be fair to say that... It would be fair to say that lots and lots of your colleagues would like to see that 2030 pledge ditched. Uh, isn't, is, that is true, isn't it? Is this a big divide in the party? Is, is green policy becoming a fissure within the Conservative Party? I don't think in terms of objective. I mean, I don't. I haven't heard any colleagues saying they don't want to get to net zero by 2050. I mean, there is a divide on you know, exactly the pathway to get there, causing the least uh, pain to consumers. Uh, and there might be some colleagues who want to ditch the 2030 um ban on new, the sale of new uh, petrol and diesel cars. Well, actually, I can't off the top of my head think of anyone who's actually called for that, but I, you can probably dig it out and tell me there is. Uh, so, but, that, but that's all part of a healthy debate. And, uh, you know, there are lots of different ways of getting to uh, net zero. And we absolutely, absolutely want to do it in a way that's least painful for least, least uh, for, for households, and, you know, particularly with the cost of living crisis now. But this is obviously a thing that will go on for 30 years or so. Um, I also have the perspective, I'm actually half Norwegian, and uh, you mentioned household emissions earlier. And in, in Norway, about two thirds of houses have got electric heat pumps. And it's a far uh, colder country than here. And in Norway, it's a complete non-issue. They don't, like, they don't quite understand why we're having such problems with it. And there's all sorts of you know, issues around that. And also electric vehicles. I think new, electric, uh, new car sales in Norway are about 90% electric now. Uh, and it's a wealthier country and people can afford more expensive cars and so on. But it just it shows a, 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 real, a, a direction that we can go down, maybe not as quickly as Norway. We're not as wealthy as them. We're far bigger, et cetera. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, if you, it, it is possible to see pathways mm. to net zero that are actually you know not that painful uh, in the long run. And it's just an energy transition. We've been through these energy transitions and technology transitions many times before originally. You know, in, the, in the old days, we used yeah. to heat our houses by wood and then coal and then, you know, burning a bit of oil uh, and uh, and then gas. You know, we had to put gas pipes in every house but, in the country. Not but that's house, almost... Millions of them. Yes, but that's almost sort of downplaying the speed at which we need to make the change now. I mean, for example, I'll just bring up one um, quote that I, 
you know, that many people found pretty hair-raising, which is from um, the chief of the UN, um, Guterres, Antonio Guterres, talking about, you probably have heard it, you know, that we're beyond climate change. We're now talking about climate boiling. You know, when you look at the warmest year on record for Britain last year, um, you know, many people predicted this, the idea that climate change, people would only really take action actually when the, the weather got so bad that we really did have to do something about it. Sea levels around the UK um, have risen a, a great deal. We've um, seen the recent reports around that. So we know that the climate is changing much more rapidly really than people had expected. Is the Tory party really ready to deal with that? You know, are they ready to, to, to deal with that issue now? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. The, the climate is warming. I mean, that's totally irrefutable. Uh, the, you know, the data is absolutely clear and, and that causes all sorts of problems, as we've seen this summer in uh, uh, in Europe and indeed other parts of the world. Uh, and it's absolutely important we tackle it. In terms of the language that uh, Antonio Gutierrez used, uh, saying planet boiling, I mean, so there's, there's, a, I, I, there's a debate to be had about the use of language in terms of uh, a lot of there's been criticism, in fact, from some environmentalists about some of the language used by Extinction Rebellion and others saying that, uh, you know, human, human, the human future is at risk, that we won't survive, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And the head of the, the new head, British head of the IPCC, uh, said that actually such language wasn't helpful because it makes people fatalistic and it doesn't drive behaviour. I, mean, I don't think people really realised actually how much we have changed in the UK already. So the, the peak emissions was in 1971 in terms of carbon dioxide per capita, and we've actually dropped by nearly 70% since then. I mean, that is a massive drop. Uh, and uh, the benchmark year that the UN is measuring every country against is 1990, and I think we've dropped uh, over 60% uh, since then. And since 2010, since you brought the Conservatives into it, um, and this has been an effort of successive governments, both uh, Labour coalition and Conservative, but since mm. 2010, I think our emissions have dropped by well over a third, I think more like 40% in 13 years. And it, it's dropping, our emissions are dropping by about 3% a year. And, but they uh, have slowed... But I want to go toe to toe because I love some stats. Uh, but since 2015, <laughs> actually, the UK emissions have slowed down in terms of progress for Britain. And we were at the head of the G7 in terms of slashing emissions, as you rightly point out. Now we, we've lost that spot to Germany, which is doing much a much quicker change than well, we no, are. So actually, 20, with, since 2015, things have slowed down. So since so the benchmark year that we're all committed to since 29 is from 1990 and uh, we are by far the leader in the G7 I think we're leading even in the G20 uh, of that uh, you, you've changed the benchmark there to 2015 and it's inevitable that since we made bigger gains earlier on uh, that actually it's easier for other countries to uh, catch up and make it make a difference now but it's the it's the 1990 is the benchmark year that we're all committed to getting to our reduction targets from that uh, from that year and we are leading on it and I think that's something to be proud of not to be ashamed of but it, it's also not a reason to let up and you know I think it's important that we can we keep up the pressure it's important we carry on aiming that we carry on to uh, ban new gas uh, petrol and diesel cars by 2030 that we try and decarbonize uh, electricity generation by 2035 uh, and so on but I, 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 we, we still are well ahead of the pack. I just want to ask you briefly on the, the politics of all of this. I think there's clearly hope within the Tory party that you've you've landed upon a, a vote-winning strategy here. Uxbridge was obviously uh, obviously pleased many in the Conservative Party. Do you think there's a danger that uh, these these rowing back of green measures will cost the party uh, seats in places like Cambridgeshire, blue wall seats? 
Well, yeah, I mean, clearly there are some voters who may may not like it, and there, but there are other voters who will like it. I think most voters, uh, and in fact, there's been quite a lot of polling about this, uh, most voters are committed to tackling climate change, I mean, the overwhelming majority, but most of them want to do it in a way that's uh, least harmful to them in terms of their quality of life. And I totally understand that. And I don't make any apology. I don't think, you know, the Prime Minister wouldn't make any apology for adopting policies that are, uh, you know, that are, um, completely support people in wanting not to make too many big sacrifices about this. I mean, part part of the challenge here is that there is a lot of rhetoric and political rhetoric about sort of I don't know if you want to call it hair shirtism or something where, where we uh, we're not making progress unless we make absolutely massive sacrifices. But you 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 don't you don't have to. That's not necessary. As I mentioned in Norway, uh, you know, electric cars are completely normalised now, and it is a wealthier country. But it's uh, they're great and they're fantastic. And I don't think anyone in Norway feels like they've made some huge sacrifices to get to net zero. It's just uh, it's just they've made the, they've made the transition. And uh, you know, we're not in the position where we can follow Norway exactly like that. But actually, you know, given time, I think we'll be able to. I want to ask you about um, housing. You've uh, talked about nonsense plans to impose mass house building on Cambridge. Very controversial in your area, but clearly the country needs more housing. And if it can't be built in a boom area like Cambridgeshire, where should the housing be built? Oh, it can, it can be built in a boom area like Cambridge, and it is being built in a boom area like Cambridge. And uh, in fact, we've got about the fastest, we've already got about the fastest house building in the country. So the last year where data is available, we built more houses and uh, than Manchester, than Newcastle, than Liverpool, as many houses as Birmingham, more than any London borough. And in fact, under the current local authority plans, that house building is going to double over the next 20 years compared to the last 20 years. And we've got three new towns being built around Cambridge. We've got four new quarters of the city being built out. My a comment about it being nonsense was uh, just the idea from central government that that wasn't enough. And it's we've actually got huge problems with that level of house building in terms of infrastructure uh, provi providing it, uh, but also in particular, and the point I repeatedly made, and I'm glad the government took on board, is water so Cambridge is about the driest area of the country we've got half the national level of uh, rainfall uh, it's borderline semi-arid and uh, we've actually run out of water I mean the the, the, the ponds and the streams and the rivers run dry uh, in the summer because the water level drops so much we don't pipe it in from anywhere else I've been campaigning for new uh, reservoirs the government supports that they're going to build two uh, but apparently it takes about 20 years to get the reservoirs to provide water I don't know why it takes so long to build a reservoir Sure, in China they do it within a year or so. But but um, uh, I've been pushing to try and accelerate the building of the reservoirs. But that's that's a a, a real physical constraint. There's no point in building uh, houses for which there is no water. Yeah, the real constraints then of trying to get to that goal of the what is well many people think is required. The government has promised to do in the past 300,000 homes per year. Anthony, thank you so much for being with us uh, today. Really lovely to speak to you again. Anthony Brown, Conservative MP for South Cambridgeshire, who is also vice chair of the All Party Group on the Environment. Well, as Bloomberg, of course, we've been tracking the UK inflation figures all the way on there up over the past uh, year or so. Well, finally, there's been a bit of good news and that shop prices in the last month have actually fallen. It's been a long time since we've been mm. able to say that. Um, so let's get more with our reporter, Katie Linsell. Katie, just talk us through um, the detail of this. Yes, yeah, so this is, as you say, a kind of cause for optimism at long last. Um, we did see shop prices across the board fall in July. It wasn't a huge decrease. It was just 0.1%. But still, given that we've seen such inflation, to actually see prices fall, it is a really encouraging sign. Um, in other areas, we've seen inflation slow. Um, so particularly in food price inflation, which is an area that people are really looking at, uh, we've seen inflation there slowing. 
Um, but uh, particularly when we can talk about prices dropping, you know, that that is really encouraging. Some of it is to do with discounts from retailers because we've seen such terrible wet weather. Um, so you've seen uh, clothing and footwear be discounted. Um, but in some cases, it's also food products. So it is an encouraging sign. Yeah, absolutely. The British Retail Consortium. So the decline is month on month, right? So you see shop prices overall going uh, down by a tenth of 1% between June and July. I mean, it still leaves the annual inflation rate at 7.6% in uh, July. Um, And also food price inflation is in double digits. It's still at more than 13%. So I think that's why we're all sounding a little bit cautious. It's sort of perhaps the first sign that things are improving but do you think that people are really going to notice Katie overall that you've seen this very small month-on-month drop I mean that's fair to say you know 0.1 percent it is it is so small Um, and I think food is really the area we all need to focus on because that's what we all need to buy you know week in week out Um, we have seen food price inflation drop to the lowest since December but as you say it is still north of 13 percent um, some of the areas to focus on are cooking oils and, and fish and breakfast cereals. They were particularly pointed out as being being um, cheaper. Um, but but yeah, it, it's a bit of a struggle here. You know, the supermarkets are trying to highlight that they are cutting prices where possible. And they've mm. got these huge loyalty schemes to try and pull in shoppers. But overall, the consumer is still really feeling the pinch on their wallets when it comes to buying their food versus a year ago. There is a sign of more promotional spend, isn't there, from uh, some of the consumer goods companies and from the big su- some big supermarkets. When you walk around the supermarket now, you can see there are there, there are price cuts, but it flashed up. Whereas six months ago, there were there were no signs of of any price cuts. Yes, I, yeah, you've got the the really big consumer giants working with the supermarkets to offer um, these price reductions, and particularly, you know, there's been a lot of focus on Tesco's Club Card and Sainsbury's Nectar Card you know, trying to pull in shoppers to to sign up to these loyalty programs and then get the cheaper prices that way. There's also been a lot of political pressure on the supermarkets to prove that they are not inflating beyond necessary levels. Um, so I think, you know, it, it's, it's sort of on a weekly basis that we get mm. releases from the supermarkets saying we've cut this, we've cut that. Um, but But still, you know, the UK is behind other nations when it comes to Uh, pulling down on our food prices. So I think it is still quite painful for shoppers. Yeah, absolutely. It's also painful trying to figure out how to get your loyalty card to work online, in person, so you get the (laughs) discount that is being offered. I don't know, maybe that's just my headache. Um, Look, the (laughs) other uh, issue is, I mean, it's it's complicated. This is another hurdle to get through. Um, The other issue, though, is is about indebtedness, because um, there's also been um, some data out from the Bank of England, which is obviously tracking all of this. Interest rates are going up. Credit card loans um, are there, and they are also increasing at quite a clip now we haven't seen that for a while have we yeah this is something that we really need to keep an eye on because of course um for consumers to try and keep up their normal standard of living during the cost of living crisis it can be tempting to take on more credit to to pay um for these products for items um we did see um consumer credit really increase um in june uh, the biggest increase since since april 2018 um, this is partly people taking on mortgages. You know, it, it, to some extent, it's encouraging that people are taking on mortgages at these higher rates. 
Um, but but it is something that you know I think retailers are also quite aware of. Um, many retailers offer sort of credit schemes, um, trying to make it sort of easier for the consumer to to buy products through cost of living crisis. Yeah. But at the same time, yeah. we need to make sure the consumer isn't getting ahead of themselves with the amount of debt they're taking on. Yeah, absolutely. And it's especially something that we're watching in a week where we're going to get another Bank of England rate decision. We're already at 5% for the base rate from the Bank of England. And, you know, on a knife edge when it comes to whether we're going to see another 25 basis point or 50 basis point interest rate rise on Thursday. I mean, speaking of those mortgages, though, there was also um, the nationwide figures out today. Uh, Those are a little bit more worrying in terms of the impact on house prices. We spoke to the senior economist from Nation nationwide Andrew Harvey he told us that there had been a knock uh, to consumer faith in the housing market in the UK because interest rates are rising and prices are coming down very quickly have a listen the good news is consumer confidence has improved since where we were following the mini budget we've taken a little bit of a knock more recently I think that's in response to where where rates have gone um, things are becoming perhaps um, a bit slower in terms of activity um, that said it has held up better than again what we saw following the, the mini budget Katie how much of a headwind is this for the UK economy house prices have been quite slow to react to rising interest rates it does seem that they are on the downward trajectory now Yes, and we had um, some estimates recently from Bloomberg Economics saying that house prices have a further 5.5% to fall. So we're not really there yet. Um, it's something that retailers are really flagging, this this burden of more costly mortgages. Um, even as the consumer might have some more means to spend in some ways, you know, with wages increasing, mortgages are a huge burden for so many consumers. Yeah. And so... It, it, it really it really prevents that that spend coming through. Um, people are prioritizing the absolute essentials. They're prioritizing their mortgage payments, their f- payments for food. Uh, we've been talking so much about energy in recent months. Uh, so yes, I, th- I think mortgages is really is really where the focus should be right now. It's quite alarming. Yeah, absolutely. The nationwide house price figure shows prices dropped 3.8% year on year in July. So they're down 3.8%. Our reporter, Katie Linsell, thank you so much for being with us this morning, uh, taking us through. Well, what's happening in the UK economy? So important for voters right now. Yeah, a little something to leave you with, which we'll be watching very closely later on today. And that is the recall petition in Rutherglen and Hamilton West. This is the seat on the edge of Glasgow. Uh, MP Margaret Ferrier, there's been a recall petition uh, as to whether there should be a by-election. If 10% of constituents have signed that petition, there will be another by-election, which, of course, we will be excited about. Yeah, absolutely. Perhaps that's something for you for tomorrow. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so that other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Walcott. Nice to have you back, James. And our audio engineer was Rich Subnani. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Caroline Hepke. We'll be back with more tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.